18, um, Paul writes, he says, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. So we've, we've come today, this is Mission Sunday, to celebrate um, what God has done through this church, through individual missionaries, and as, as uh, Chris pointed out so wonderfully, um, it, you, it's really hard to find a family that is not intimately involved in the, uh, in the mission to share the gospel around the globe. Uh, be- beginning here, but extending through all the lands. If there's just really hard to do that. We are a missional church by definition. Not always the most popular thing in the world. A lot of people come to the church for a lot of different reasons. A lot of people come, to be quite blunt with you, wanting things for themselves. Wanting to fix themselves. And what the gospel always does, always demands, is that the individual life in Christ is pointed toward the unbeliever. It's pointed toward the proclamation of the gospel. It is because the gospel is essential. You will live through poverty. You can live through strife. You can, if you don't live through sickness, you will be reunited with Christ, to be honest with you. The one thing that's non-negotiable is that the lost must hear the gospel. And God hasn't a plan B out there, to be honest with you, for those who never get to hear There is one plan of salvation, and that is that people would respond to the preached gospel. So this is is the fight of our lives. As Russell pointed out, um, we have an intimate relationship with Haiti, and Haiti is collapsing under the weight of voodoo, under the weight of its own strife, of its own ineffective government, and all of these problems. And these are people right there that will succumb to evil. Succumb to evil. I would challenge every missionary, everyone in this room to understand this. The primary goal of missions is not to be a white savior. It's not. It's not for you to go and preach the gospel. I'll just be honest with you. We can't send enough missionaries to save India. There are too many people. There aren't enough Christians in the world. If half of all of us went, there wouldn't be enough people to share the gospel with India. God can save India, and He'll use Indians, Emily, to do it. He'll use Indians, Brindy, to do it. Why go? Support the church, Russ, right? Because what will happen to the church in Haiti if we don't go? It'll collapse. We'll look up, and there will have been a church there, and it won't, the building won't be there anymore, will it, Russ? That's why we're under so much pressure with this. So, so there's, there, there's there my tiny little spiel. And I'll say more to that. And I'm, I know I'm on the clock. So y'all please forgive me for that momentary intrusion. I want to say this. The gospel's got two distinct, two strict demands. Which are implicit to its message. First, the gospel must be responded to by the individual. The gospel is to be heard and to be believed. Our Lord preaches in Luke 6, 47-48. He says, Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words. The very words of the gospel. An exclusive offer of hope in a world that is dying from the ravages of sin. A man or a woman cut off from the gospel is condemned. The gospel must be heard and must be responded to. 
The gospel must be heard and believed by any person who will be saved. We want to see the world saved, they've got to hear the gospel. They've got to be people in their midst that know the gospel. There's not a magic word or phrase that saves those whom the church has neglected. If we're troubled by this truth, then send more missionaries. If this bothers us, then go. Because God left this to the church. No opportunity for remission from sins exists apart from the truth of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. The essential truth in all creation. The gospel must be preached to an entire world for the final things to come. This is one we always neglect. Because we've got this idea that we can sort of sit back in our enclaves and wait for Jesus to come. And He's just going to come. And the Bible teaches the exact opposite. Matthew chapter 24 verse 14. By the way, who says this? Whose mouth does this come out of? The mouth of Jesus. We we understand they're all the words of Christ. But He bothered to say, say this. He says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Do you want to know when Christ will return for His people? When the gospel has been proclaimed to all the nations. Not one day before. Not one second before. Now, I don't know what it looks like. I don't understand theologically what it's going to look like when God has seen fit to have the church proclaim the truth to all the nations. I don't know what it's going to look like. It could be happening right now. The very final amen could be said and Jesus simply throws open the gates of the eastern sky. I don't know. But I know this, by the declaration of the mouth of Jesus Himself, He will not set foot in this world again until the gospel has been proclaimed to all the nations. You can believe what you want to believe, but if you believe something other than that, you believe wrong. Jesus will not come back until the mission of the church is complete. You can sit there and wait, and you can sit there and rot, and it won't change anything. God left us behind to share the gospel with a lost world. He was so passionate that he left his bride to do it. All of the hopes of the church for cosmic mercy hinge on our willingness to submit to total obedience to the, to, to the Word of God in spreading the gospel. Total obedience. Now look, the foundation of the biblical command to spread the gospel from horizon to horizon are Paul's words just one verse before in Romans 10.17 where he says, So faith comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. So how do those people in disparate places around the globe come to faith in Jesus Christ? They must hear the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what these young ladies do in foreign countries, what this church does in the, in the Delta or in Haiti or Honduras or wherever else God has blessed us to reach is absolutely essential because it comes with it the opportunity for a lost person to hear the Word of God and respond to the Word of God. For faith to be fostered by the hearing of the Word of God. Therefore, Paul speaks prophetically. In the focal passage. He says their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. He quotes prophecy itself in Psalm 19 verse 4. Why? Because it hasn't happened yet. At Paul's time, it simply had not happened. There were wide swaths of the entire world. Most of the globe had never heard the name Jesus. 
That's still so strange to me. Is that right now, listen to me, right now in this world there are places who have ne- in, which, in which people dwell who've never heard the name Jesus. Much less the gospel. In which the word of God is outlawed. Is seditious speech. The mission of the church is to preach the gospel around the globe in order to win souls and make disciples. Brindy mentioned it that way, and I thought that was a really amazing thing. Uh, if there's one problem with the American church, is that we spend a whole lot of time sharing the ABCs and praying prayers with people, and we've never bothered to teach them the Word of God. That's why we get minuscule believers. That's why you can have, have, a, have, a, have a sizable church in which no one knows enough Bible to teach. Because we thought it was enough to get them to pray the right prayer. And to have no demonstrated faith. We're to win souls and make disciples. As a church, the most substantive way in which we can spend our financial and personal resources is ensuring that our share of the worldwide, and I mean including local, gospel proclamation is completed. It's not that we are just so in love with getting passport stamps. By the way, passport stamps are really cool. They are. And especially when you're not going, you know, just for fun. Do you know what I mean? Because lots of people get a passport stamped and, and, no, and, and the gospel never gets proclaimed. A lot of people are world travelers and they never take the cross with them. I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing when you hand somebody your passport and they put a stamp in it and you know you're going to that country for one reason, one reason alone, and that is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to support God's people. It's a radically different thing when that happens for you. But you know, as much as that is a great thing, your efforts with your neighbor, our efforts across the county, and our efforts in the, in the Mississippi Delta or wherever God leads us are just as vital. They're all part of what God has gifted to us. Please, I, I would second what Chris said so wonderfully. What so many said was it's just so much more powerful, isn't it, Chris, the more people there are. You know, one of the good things about this is, you know why we didn't make everybody come here and stand? Do you know why? Because almost everybody would be standing up and just be a few people looking. Right? Hey, I didn't want to make anybody kind of ashamed. But here's where it wouldn't be a wonderful thing if we looked up and if we had 50 people or 500 people, we could say every single one's a missionary. Every single one is a missionary. What a wonderful thing to do. Look, we all have work to do in this. The gospel is more than just words, but a demonstration of faith in the lives of born-again believers that verifies the power of Christ's truth to change backward and sin-marred lives. So listen, our proclamation of the truth in the mission field or not begins with the way we lead our lives. Look, look, there's far too many people. I know far too many people that, that will say all the right words, but the reality is their life just simply doesn't support what they say. There's a disconnect between what they say but they believe and what they practice. So, so the first act of the missionary is, is, is Brother Russ' internal. Is in the spirit of the one who is, who is being called. The daily call in all of our lives is to live in holiness and separation from the world. What the church cannot 
tolerate any longer is overtly worldly believers. Believers who know more about what goes on in popular culture than what has transpired within the pages of their scriptures. That's one of those things we simply cannot tolerate. The church can't bear the weight of it. To practice self-sacrifice and courageous boldness in the face of persecution. That's another issue that we have to deal with right now is the fact that this is not supposed to be easy. Now, I did a very informal kind of calculation while, uh, while everybody was talking, oh, not just over what they were talking about, but over the 13 years that I've been the pastor here in which we've done missions throughout that 13 years. Before I was missional in my spirit, we were missional as a people. It was starting to emerge, Brother Russ. But one of the things I started to remember was this, was that how many times, Miss Beverly, we've gone off and, and we've gotten sick. How many people in this room have gone away on missions and while they were there didn't just get a cold, Russ, but really got sick? I hadn't thrown up in 22 years until I went to Haiti and then I baptized all of Haiti. It was a sprinkling, but it was a baptism nonetheless. I didn't even know I could throw up anymore. I found out I could. It took a while, but when it came out, boy, did it come out. Point. Sickness. I stayed sick the entire journey. Sick. How many of us have gone off and gotten sick? How many have gone off and been, Brandy, feared for our lives? Flood ten mile, flood, a flood ten miles away is pretty far. But it doesn't feel very far when you're the person that it's 10 miles away from, does it? No. We send missionaries to, to Haiti now and they get robbed, Russ. At gunpoint. Revolution breaks out. And the places we're talking about. So, so there's the idea that, that there's going to be real persecution and that we've got to be bold and we've got to be courageous. Because I'll be honest with you, as Southern Baptists... Two things we're not good at. We're not good at boldness and we've got no courage. We'll change anything about ourselves to please the masses. We'll say, we'll parrot whatever the world wants us to parrot as long as people will come to our churches and give us their money. Most of the Methodist churches need to be about half as big as they are, to be honest with you. Because they're suffering some folks that, to be blunt, simply put, don't believe what the Bible teaches. But we're cowardly and we're not bold. And the Bible commands that we be bold and courageous. Paul wrote in Philippians 1.14, And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Oh my goodness gracious life, Paul just said that because he went to jail, everybody got more bold and not less bold. How's that going to work? That didn't work that way in the, in, the, in the Southern Baptist Church of the 21st century. Let there be just a little bit of criticism and what will happen? Everybody shuts down. Paul goes to jail and the church takes up his slack. As I point out, Paul had one really great missions uh, method of missions, didn't he? Go somewhere, try to get arrested. And everywhere Paul went and he preached, what happened? A riot broke out. <laughs> 
Paul dared the culture around him because he didn't fear it. At the same time, we must cope with a variety of obstacles. The greatest threat that we face is to understand exactly what to do biblically with the imperative to foster justice and to care for needs of the poor. Now, this is a slight little thing. I'm going to go through really, really fast. But I felt like I needed to mention it. There's a lot in this. I apologize. And that is the idea, is that we know good and well that we're supposed to go out and meet the needs of these people. Russell, support the church. All over all the places we ever went in Haiti, you know what we did? We fed them. Cook rice and beans. Because they didn't eat good. We brought them food. We knew that if we could meet that need, they'd listen to the gospel. We knew if they were hungry, they'd never listen to a word we said. So we'd go and we'd do that. But can we take that too far? Look, Micah 6 8 gives us you know, instruction. This He's, He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. So there's clear biblical instruction in this way. But simultaneously, we're to maintain a sound, orthodox faith. The Bible clearly teaches some things that, to be honest with you, not everybody wants to hear and are not popular. The Bible addresses lifestyle. The Bible addresses marriage. The Bible addresses money. The Bible addresses family. The Bible addresses all of these things. And they are not matters on which we can say, well, you know what, I'm not going to talk about that. The reality is this, is that marriage is a gospel issue. We've talked about this. Sexuality is a gospel issue. These are gospel issues. We can't preach the gospel apart from the truth. That is ridiculous. So mind preach the gospel and not tell the truth. Work that one out. It's impossible. What cannot happen is the church allows an unwanted addendum. It's called critical theory, folks. You can look it up later. You can look it up later. And it has big tentacles. And even though you don't know what it is, it changes the church more than anywhere else. It's changing the church. To attach itself to the gospel. Eventually superimposing itself upon the message of the cross and leading the church into abject liberalism. Here's the problem is that we can find ourselves slipping generationally. Now listen to me. This is where discipleship matters so much. This is where missions and raising up a missional church that's a well-discipled church matters. Because you can watch out, folks, and find out that your kids do not believe soundly. And you assume they would. You assumed your children would believe what you believe even though you never bothered to teach them. You just assumed that there was a gene for thinking what you think. And it simply is not true. It's not true at all. So we have to guard ourselves from this. Finally, the key for each covenant believer is in discovering our spirit-enabled passion and in overcoming our individual problems. I'm going to tell you this right now. Man, if you've got a doubt about it, go. We had like, we had some ladies go, let's do, I'm not sure what to do. Go, man, just go. Go and figure it out. Go and see if you like it or not. Go. Go. While you've got health, while your heart beats and your lungs draw in air, go. Take a chance and see what God will do. But, but I'm, I'm encouraging you to go. You know why? And this is anywhere. As I was praying this prayer, I prayed a faulty prayer. And I thought, well, you know, that one of the issues we can do is come in here and focus on India or Romania because the stories are so exciting when the girls go to India or Romania or someplace like that or Egypt or Russell or, or Haiti. And this, but there's some people that won't do that. I thought, no, that's, that's a lie. That's a, that's a total lie. If our Lord wants Rudolf Packus in India tomorrow, guess where he's going? 
If you'll give him the health to go there. It is a faulty assumption to assume that God can't do that with him. If God can save your soul from darkness, he can do anything with a physical body. Because I tell you what, because if you can't do anything with a physical body, you can't save your soul from darkness. God wants Rudolph there, he'll send Rudolph there. There's just no doubt about that. And they will get something, won't they, Beverly? They'll get something. They just didn't know. But here's the reality, is that God will take you where He wants you to go. But what I want you to do, what, I, what I'm praying, and my, my prayer in this is, that you would discover your passion for it. That you would go one time like Russell Casson did, and he just got down in his bones. So when he spends a year when he can't go, Russell, you don't feel complete, do you? Look what God does. Discover that passion and overcome individual problems. Look, Paul, in many ways, and as I wrap this up, is our model for gospel-enslaved heart, for the gospel-enslaved heart of the sufferer. As introduced in Acts 9, 16, which our Lord proclaims, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Do you understand what God said to Paul? I'm going to save your soul and send you out to preach the gospel, and it's always going to be suffering. And you're going to suffer every minute of it. And the end is going to cost you your life. How many of us would sign up for that? In fact, part of Paul's preaching ministry was to encourage the churches in their daily efforts. I think one of the problems we have is air conditioning. It's really comfortable. It's always comfortable in our churches. In fact, we'll complain if it's slightly uncomfortable. Slightly, ever so slightly uncomfortable. And there are believers around this globe who walk hours just to hear the gospel. Man, that first time on the mountain, Russell, they wanted to do stuff all afternoon, remember, so they didn't have to go home. Because it took them three hours to walk home. They'd barely get home, they had to turn around and come back. Little old ladies marching through the mountains in heels to get there. Beverly's seen in Honduras, haven't you, Beverly? They wanted all day long. You know why? Because it took too long to get home. For the believers around the world, for the church, suffering is, is it. Acts 14, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. He tells the churches through many tribulations, it's going to be hard. In the lap of luxury, in a gospel-soaked land, it's hard for us to make ourselves understand that the truth costs people everywhere else. That the truth can take more than, than your livelihood or your standing in the community. That the truth can cost you everything. While we all feel limited by circumstances and personality, remember that though Paul's theological training was extensive, that he likewise was hampered by circumstances. First, Paul had to preach to and encourage three groups. The Jews, who saw him as a traitor and heretic and wanted to kill him, were always plotting to kill Paul, right? So if somebody in your life you're trying to share the gospel with doesn't like you, they hated Paul. Hated him. The Christians 
who regarded Paul as a dangerous oppressor of the church, they remembered everything he'd done. Anybody in this room ever tried to share the gospel with somebody that remembered how much of a heathen you used to be? Paul had thrown them in prison. And now he's trying to sit in church next to them. So the church, the family that used to embrace Paul now hates him and wants to kill him. The new family he's been given doesn't trust him either. Yeah, I find one of the hard things I find about being a pastor sometimes is that sometimes you're just simply awkward around people that you know don't like you. I didn't try to kill them. But Paul did. As a dangerous oppressor of the church with blood on his hands and the Gentile world which Paul must have found to be uncivilized and offensive by nature. And that's it, church. Remember, Paul, in his heart still, in his mannerisms, in the way he'd been raised, was a Jew. And that everything the Gentiles did, including eating, was offensive to Paul. So Paul was also called to go out into a world that his nature said was wrong in everything they did. And then we're, we can be troubled just a little bit to go places that just simply aren't as clean. Right, Beverly? That smell like charcoal and garbage. Paul experienced the same thing. The ability to speak. Now look, if you're a preacher, the one thing you try to count on is that you can speak. The main method by which the gospel ministers impact the world was called into question by those who heard Paul and often rejected his teaching. And the, the, the Corinthian church didn't like Paul. They wanted somebody else. Now I know, me, I am flabbergasted by that still to this day. I've been complaining about this forever. I'm flabbergasted by the fact that Paul wasn't good enough for somebody. Who, who do you want that's better than somebody that writes 13 books of the Bible? But they didn't like his preaching. It's a pretty hard thing to stand up in front of people and speak when you know they cannot stand the sound of your voice. So guess what? Paul experienced it stubbornly. He preached. Three, though educated from an early age in the law and the prophets and the speaker of Greek, Paul was regarded by much of the Hellenized world as an outsider and an uncultured bumpkin. They made fun of Paul. He was a rube. And there are lots of us in the room right here who wouldn't want to share the gospel because we think somebody's going to make fun of us, right? Paul has got all the answers to every problem that they would ever have. Paul, who's called upon by God to write Romans, the treatise of the Christian faith, is being made fun of by people that, to be honest with you, should have known better. But here, here goes Paul again. And finally, and Paul faced violent reprisals and indefinite confinement for the glory of God at the hands of both Jews and Gentiles. He said, everybody was always beating on Paul and everybody always wanted to kill Paul. So, so that's, that's the world church that, that Paul faced. Um, it is worse than what I face. And it's worse than what you face. There was more stacked against Paul's ministry than stacked against yours. But yet Paul was faithful. Then finally, the answer from the church that is required today is that we reaffirm the truth of the gospel. First and foremost, our response beginning today and extending throughout the rest of our lives is an affirmation of gospel truth. It's either true and we'll live for it and through it or it is not. I cannot say I believe it and not act as if it's true. Because either the, Bible, the, the, the gospel is the only way to salvation for the entire world, or it is not. 
I cannot find a third path. There is no third path. I either believe it and I live that way or I deny it. And as I heard a, heard a guy and read in the paper, they said, just go ahead and say I'm an atheist. Instead of saying I believe one thing and acting differently. Just go ahead and live that way. Two, recommit our lives and our work to the gospel. So today is a day of recommitting that which should had no right to not be committed. For these young ladies and young men and whoever goes forth into the, into the uh, nether regions of this world. And for every single one of us who's called by God to go forth armed with the gospel. We're to recommit ourselves today. Say, so this is what I believe. And this is how this year is going to look. I'm going to start now, Brother Kyle, now. Living the gospel out that way. And then finally, we do all of this so that the world can be born again by the truth of the gospel. Remembering those two first points. The final one, that the things of the end, the great blessing of Jesus coming back for His people will not occur until we have proclaimed the gospel around the globe and understanding this much, that the gospel is the truth that must be dealt with by each and every person on this planet. They all must hear and they all must respond. Let's stand together as we pray.